The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect. Our teaching text this evening comes from Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it might give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, citizens, how are we doing? Good. Good to see you all. We haven't met before. My name's Garrison. Uh, I'm on our leadership team. Excited to get to be with you tonight. If you have a Bible, uh, you can open up to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be starting in verse 25. If you're using one of our Bibles, it's page 569. So you can open up there now. Once you get there, uh, you can just doggy ear that. We're going to start with a little bit of an exercise. So if you got a phone, you can just open it up to your notes app. Or if you got a journal, just flip over to a blank piece of paper. And I want you to think about a person or people who you genuinely don't like. A person or people that you genuinely have a problem with. And maybe that's small. Maybe it's just petty stuff. Maybe you just find them very annoying. Or it could be big stuff, and you would actually categorize it as, this person has sinned in a big way against me, and I'm struggling not to hate them. Either way, write that name down, or maybe it's in between. And if that doesn't necessarily ring a bell, I'll say it this way. Who is the person or people that if they walked in the room right now, you would just cringe a little bit? You just get a little bit anxious because they're here now, and everything's a little bit worse I'm just a little bit more uncomfortable because they're here. What about the last person you gossiped about? Or the last person you had an anger fantasy about? You know, where you fantasize about having the perfect comeback to just put them in their place. You just, ah, oh, it was perfect. Who's that person? It could be big, it could be small. Maybe it's your spouse, your kids, a parent. They could be a member in our church, somebody in the room, or not. Maybe a neighbor, a coworker, a friend. Who, who is that person? Write that name down. Maybe not if they're sitting beside you. That might make things awkward, but keep it in mind. Write it down. We'll get back to that in just a little bit. So last week, Tim kind of introduced this huge idea for the Christian life that as believers in Jesus, we get a new identity, that our lives, our loves, our minds will look different as we fight to put off the old self and put on the new, that as Christians, we've been made right with God, adopted into his family, and now we're trying to fight to live into that reality. And we're going to continue to see how our identities as Christians bleed into our personal lives, specifically in our relationships. We're going to talk tonight about how we're called to treat one another. Now, before I go any further, as you heard Ellen read, this is kind of just a list. This text is a little bit of a laundry list of what we're not supposed to do and what we're supposed to do. And I think it's interesting that as Paul is starting to talk about what we're supposed to do and not supposed to do as Christians— 
he starts with a list of ways we're supposed to relate to other people. It's one of the first things he talks about. That's huge. That's significant because relationships matter in following Jesus. They matter a lot. I'll be honest with you. Tonight's text, uh, it's a little bit weird for me because it's just pretty clear. It's just a pretty clear text. It's straightforward, but there's a lot there. There's a lot of impactful and significant things for us. So here's what we'll see tonight. We're going to see five shifts in how we relate to one another. With that, let's hop in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Read with me. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So this is our first shift. It's from lying to truth-telling. From lying to truth-telling. So Paul starts with rebuking a lifestyle of falsehood. Or you could just say it a lifestyle of lying, which may sound like a little bit simple, right? Like, it's not easy, but it's like, yeah, okay, I won't lie about things. I'll try to do that. But I think it can actually get a little bit tricky. I want to talk about one of the ways I see this showing up. One of the ways that falsehood, I think, really affects us is when we pretend to be something that you're not. When you are something different than what you claim to be. This can kind of be innocent, right? Where you just ham up a story. Where your stories are always just a little tweaked. They're always a little more interesting, a little more funny. Like you always do a little bit better on your golf round. Or things are just a lot harder, right? Where it's kind of overly dramatic. Things are more difficult. Where you're, it's just pretending. Or uh, this, this is one of the dangers with social media, Right? where it feels like you have to pretend to be something for your 356 followers or for your family and friends who are watching seemingly over your shoulder on social media. This is all image management. That's what I'm kind of talking about with falsehood here is we're managing our image. We don't think of this as lying. We don't think of this as falsehood, but that's exactly what it is. And it starts to shift from that innocent thing to a little more bad once it bleeds into our church. A couple ways I can see that uh, show up. You can be at your community group, right? And somebody asks you, hey, how's, how's your marriage? How's your spouse? And it's not going well this week. I'm not saying, and it's not wholeheartedly awful, but this week was really hard. And, and what, what do you say? I'm fine. We're fine. We're actually just learning a lot right now. We're just learning a lot about each other. Yeah, it's been a tough kind of season, but that's not really true. That's just spin, and that's what we start to do. We start to put a bow on everything going on in our life. Or say, yeah, I, I lashed out at my kids. I lashed out at my spouse. I had a week where I was just totally consumed with anxiety and depression. I went on a porn binge, but you know, I've processed that now. I journaled about that. I've prayed about it some, and we're good. We're good now. Just so you know, we're good. What we're starting to do is we're starting to caveat all of the bad things in our life. We don't think it's lying. We don't think it's falsehood, but that's precisely what it is. It's just like what Tim talked about with the pretend, the almost innocence last week. We're almost honest. We're om- we're, we got a little bit of honesty in there, but not 100%. What Paul says is that we should speak the truth to one another putting off falsehood looks like telling people you're not okay. Looks like telling people I'm not having a good week. That's not immature. That's maturity in Christ. If you want to know, if you want to measure where you're at with your faith, with following Jesus, with how well you're believing your identity in Jesus, it corresponds to your vulnerability. Because if, you're, if you believe 
that my identity is firmly rooted in Christ, you have nothing to pretend about. You can be honest. You can be open. And even further, when we tell partial truths about ourselves, we're actually preventing our church family from rallying around us because we're actually unknown. Even if there's some honesty there, to be 99% known is to be unknown. People don't know you. There's something that you're, you're holding back. And the whole point is that our church would actually be able to be there for one another. And we can't if we're not honest. So in light of that, Paul says, let's tell the truth about ourselves to one another. Let's push back on falsehood. That's our first shift from lying to truth-telling. Let's look back for our second. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Our second shift is from sinful anger to dealing with anger. Um, Something I think that just jumps off the page here is that Paul says not all anger is inherently sinful. That anger is actually just our emotional response when what we see around us is not in line with what we think the world should be, which can sometimes be a good thing, right? When what we want is for God's kingdom to come. We want God's values and commands to be true in our lives and the lives around us right? Examples, things like uh, when we see adultery, when we see divorce, when we see racism, it would be correct to be angry about those things because there's nothing good about them. But that's not always true, and that anger doesn't always remain where it needs to be. So Paul warns us, resolve any and all anger quickly. He even goes as far to say that our anger is giving opportunity to the devil, which is a massive problem. So there's a clear connection between anger and temptation to sin. So while anger may not be inherently sinful, it is dangerous. So maybe your anger it starts out in a good place where, uh, right, like uh, you, you see somebody sin against a friend, and I'm upset about that. Or uh, you see somebody living in sin, and of course, I'm, I'm mad for them. I, I want more for them. Or you get sinned against, and that's upsetting. But that can quickly turn into resentment, bitterness, hate, gossip, or divisiveness, and now you are sinning. Regardless of the cause, a sinful response to sin is still sin. And don't just think that anger is external, right? Because there's just as much internal rage and anger as there is external. So if your head is full of hate, judgment, self-righteousness, bitterness, you're still sinning in your anger, even if it's internal versus external. So the shift is from sinful anger towards dealing with our anger. Two quick suggestions of how that may look. The first is pretty simple, but not easy, right? Go to God. Go to God. When you're angry, go to God. How often do you pray for the people that you're just really mad at? How often when you get mad at your spouse or roommates or kids is your response to pray in the moment? Because I think that would change the way that we think of the whole situation and of them. First thing, go to God. Second, go to the person. Keep short accounts. Talk about the issue with them. Approach it with humility and, and grace and say, hey, this hurt my feelings. Or hey, you, you sinned. This is the verse. Let's resolve this. But either way, deal with it quickly. Go to God. Go to the other person. That's how we deal with our anger. A shift to looks, look back for three. It says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Shift number three 
is from stealing to giving. From stealing to giving. So my perception of our church is that we don't have a lot of bank robbers, which is a good thing. I'm proud of us for that. If you actually fit in that category, we should get coffee. But there are also more subtle ways that stealing shows up. Maybe it's right you're at home when you should be working, right? You're working remotely and you're watching Netflix all day. Or maybe you even stole the Netflix login or the Amazon Prime. That's a subtle form of stealing. And even if that's not something you do, I don't want you to miss the contrast that Paul makes here. He doesn't just say that we should go from stealing to honesty or earning faithfully. He says the opposite of stealing is doing honest work so that you may have something to share with anyone in need. He says the opposite of stealing isn't just earning faithfully, it's giving generously. The opposite of stealing isn't just earning faithfully, it's giving generously. So I know a lot of us have jobs, right? And we're faithful in those jobs, we're showing up, and for the most part, I think we're, we're paying our bills, we're, we're providing for ourselves and our family. I think that's great. But I, I don't know how many of us are consciously thinking when we clock in. God, I'm really grateful for this opportunity to have a job. You gave me the job, and I get to do this for you and so that I can use the money that I'm earning to care and to give to other people. I know I don't do that, and I would guess that our budgets sometimes don't reflect that either. And Paul is making the point that God isn't just interested in making you fiscally responsible. You could be the smartest person in the world, totally fiscally responsible with your money, and still be completely ignoring God with your money. Your money is not just about you. It's for God and other people. You are called to be both financially responsible and radically generous. Let's hop back in. Point number four. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Point number four, shift number four, from corrupting talk to talk that builds up. So I kind of just want to talk, as we're, as we're talking about corruptive talk, I just want to talk about gossip. Gossip and divisiveness. I think uh, a working definition for us would be that gossip is talking about your perceived problems with the wrong people for the wrong reason. So even think about what Sally just talked about, right? She had a real perceived problem, right? And what she did with it was she went to the right people. She talked to her spouse. She talked to some other leaders. She talked to her community. And then she went to the person, who is me, by the way, just so we're on the same page. It's fine. (laughs) Spoiler. Spoiler. And she dealt with it. And because she dealt with it, it didn't turn into gossip. It didn't turn into divisiveness. Instead, she dealt with it. Here are the two things that we can glean both from that and the ways that I would like for us to deal with gossip and corruptive talk. First thing is talk to the person. If you have a problem with somebody, go talk to them. Maybe it's a big deal. Maybe it's just I feel awkward around you. Either way, go talk to the person. Second thing I'd say is go up. Go up. Here's what I mean. You're not always going to know how to deal with every problem with a person. Sometimes it's going to be, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't even know this person. Like, I don't know what to do. I just don't know how to handle this. The temptation can be to not say anything and let it fester 
or to go to the wrong person. So instead of that, what we do is we go up. We go to a leader. We go to a leader who is responsible for shepherding you and the other person. And part of what they're going to do is help you discern, are you just sinfully venting about this for no purpose other than just putting them down? Or are you trying to process this? Because there's nothing wrong with processing for the sake of resolving it. And they're going to help you discern that. So go to your community group leader. Go to somebody on our lead team. Go to Tim. Take your problems up. Talk to the person and go up. Let's hop back in. Verse 30, it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Our fifth and final shift is from resentment to forgiveness. From resentment to forgiveness. So I think uh, there's a little bit of a temptation whenever there's kind of a list of commands that we're supposed to do in the Bible where it's like, well, where's the line, right? We take the good instructions in the Bible and try to figure out all of the ex- exceptions to them, right? Where we're like, but you don't know all this, you don't know both sides of the story, though. You know that they did this. This is the season that I'm in. Yeah, you don't, you don't know what's going on in my life. You can go on and on. What Paul does here is he clarifies two things. One is huge, right? Where he says, you're grieving the Holy Spirit. We cannot miss that. He says, when we sin against one another, we're sinning against God. Your sin against another person is a sin against God. So if you're like me and you tend to play off gossip, and you overlook it as just harmless. This should be a gut punch to you. Because gossip, it's not just innocent venting at a game night. It's not just innocent venting at a wine night. It's tearing other people down. And it grieves God. It's a sin against God. It's not okay just because we do it a lot. And it's socially acceptable. And nobody wants to say anything in the moment. But it's still a sin against God. When we cancel and cut toxic people out of our lives. What we're doing is we're letting bitterness and wrath and resentment just control our actions. And it's a sin against God. It grieves Him. And then he draws the line even further. He says, you're sinning against God, but let me just wrap this up for you. He says, just so we're clear, I want you to put away bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. It's a little bit like, no, nothing fits into the category. There's no exceptions to this. In case you didn't get it, this isn't the way we do things. It says, put them all away and do something else. It says to forgive. We're called to forgive one another. And uh, look at the way he says it. He says, as God in Christ forgave you. I think there's not many more things in the Bible that are as convicting as that. Forgive as Christ forgave you. So Paul says that if we're going to be able to treat each other well, that if we're going to be able to get how we're supposed to do relationships, you have to remember the gospel. It's the key to the whole thing. You have to see what Jesus has already done for you, that your debt to God surpasses anything that anybody has done or will ever do to you. The worst thing that somebody has said to you the worst thing that somebody has done to you, the worst sin committed against you, it pales in comparison 
to the sin that you have committed against God. So if we, if we get the gospel, right, where we truly see ourselves as beggars before God, where we're bringing nothing to the table, there's no way we could save ourselves. We can't convince him on our own, out of our own merit, and to beg for mercy and to see Christ lay down his life for you, to forgive you so that you could be adopted into the family of God, that your sin would be eliminated because of the person and work of Jesus. That is the thing and the only thing that can enable us to be forgiving people. That's the crux. That's the only thing that will enable us to be forgiving in spirit, to be gracious, because if we've truly received it, we'd be enabled to give it. If we've truly received forgiveness and grace, we'd be enabled to give it. I don't know about you. Uh, I, I need this really badly in my life. I, uh, I don't have a heart that naturally moves there. I'm not even, I'm not even close. I, uh, as I was prepping for this sermon, I, uh, I thought I was really smart. You know, I was like, we're going to start with this name thing. Write down the name of somebody you don't like. And then I'm like, wow, I have 10 names. Like, ooh, that's rough. Um, and I hate to admit that. I really do. I like to try to joke about it. But it's true. And there's a lot of hurt there. And there are times when I just let those situations, I just replay the situations. I'm reminded of one, therefore I'm reminded of all 10. And then the anger just starts to boil up again. And I'm reliving it over and over again. And it gets even harder because I, I hear the culture that I'm around say, uh, yeah, cancel them. Get even with them. Hurt them like, you, that you, that, like they've hurt you. And I think that cancel culture stuff, I normally just write it off as like, that's ridiculous and horrible. But I've realized I don't actually think that. The only uh, caveat is that you just have to had to hurt me. Because if you've hurt me, there's nothing I love more. And I hate that. Because I just let these hateful and anger fantasies just go through my head and then I'm just stuck. Even though this has happened way in the past, I'm just stuck. And if you've been there, you know that you just feel stuck. You don't know what to do. And you just feel sick about it. Even if you were 100% correct. Like, you're just like, I check, I'm, I'm in the right. It doesn't matter. Because now you're the one paying for it over and over again. It doesn't matter if the things they did were horrible. You're the one stuck there. And you just feel gross, tired, heavy, as that resentment just pours over you and then pours out of you. I will be the first to confess that I need a new heart that, that believes that Christ has for, forgiven me more than anybody could ever sin against me. To be so convinced of the gospel and what Jesus has done for me, to have such a grasp of the mercy is poured out for me that it would roll into my relationships with other people. I need that really badly. And I think what's beautiful about the gospel is we have both been forgiven infinitely more than anyone could ever do to us. And God gives us infinite resources to be able to do the same to others. If you're a Christian, you have the spirit of grace and forgiveness living in you, fueling you. Forgiving one another is, is the heart of our, all of our relationships, both in the room and out. That's how we're supposed to treat each other. We're supposed to treat each other in ways that are marked by gospel-fueled forgiveness and grace. Which is why I asked you to write down the name or the few names. 
Just to recap, we've got five shifts in how we treat others versus uh, from lying to truth-telling, from sinful anger to dealing with anger, from stealing to giving, from corrupting talk to talk that builds up, and from resentment to forgiveness. What we're going to do is we're actually just going to respond right now. We're just going to respond right now. We're going to give some space uh, for all of us to pray, to talk to God about either the, the name that you wrote down or a name that you thought of as, uh, as, we, as we talked, or, or a way that you need to confess, which um, you may be a little bit hesitant to do, and I get that. Uh, the reason that we're doing this, right, it, the church has been commanded to do these things called the, the one another statements. They're commands to go do something to another person, things like forgive, things like confess, admonish, confront, pray. Commanded 59 times. There's a little bit of, hey, go do this, which Jesus himself affirms multiple times in the gospel. Where he says, hey, if you're at the altar and you're reminded that you have something against another person, go be reconciled to them. And similarly, if they have something against you, go be reconciled to them. So what we're going to do is we're just going to be obedient to that. So we'll let the word of God just push us into obedience. So look back at your name. What does a conversation with that person look like right now? What do you need to confront? Uh, What do you need to confess? What do you need to forgive? Maybe you thought of something as we talked. Where do you see falsehood? Where do you live in falsehood? Where do you need to confess that you've been holding back, that you've been almost honest? Where have you acted in sinful anger, lashing out? Where have you seen somebody do that? Have you held back from giving generously? Go confess it. Have you gossiped? Have you participated in divisiveness and tearing down? Have you withheld encouragement? Go talk to somebody about it. Go confess it. Go to the person you gossip to. Go to the person you gossiped about. Has somebody come to you and just kind of vented, but in not a helpful way? Go talk to them. Are you holding on to bitterness? And resentment? Are you withholding forgiveness? Do you know somebody that's doing that to you? Go talk to them. It's something awkward. Maybe it's not fitting, maybe it's not as big as that, right? It's just, I got something awkward. Like, it just feels weird. Go talk to them. My one caveat for us is that maybe for some of us, the name on the list, it's a little bit of a bigger issue. Something that's happened like maybe in the past or recently, and it's just a little bit like, I can't forgive them right now. Here's what I'll say to you. I I totally get that. What I want you to do is I kind of just want you to start the process tonight. I just want you to pray for that person to start the road of forgiveness and reconciliation. Maybe you are called to go do it right now. Maybe you do need to pick up the phone and you've been avoiding it. I'll say start the road towards reconciliation. The Bible is actually clear, and I know this is hard for us. It says, doesn't matter what the thing was, we're called to forgive. We're called to take steps towards forgiveness. So I say, pray for that person and go talk to somebody in the room about it. Bring somebody in our church family into that issue, into the pain, into the hurt. Be honest with somebody in the room. For the rest of us, let's go talk to the people on our list. Let's go confess where we have done these things. Where do you feel convicted? Where have you wronged somebody? Where have you sinned? A a good way, this is going to sound funny, but a good way to know 
if that conversation, you're done, can you pray for the person and hug it out? Maybe not the hug part. That would just be me. But pray for the person. Can you do that? We're going to do this right now. And the heart of it is forgiveness, grace, treating one another as Christ has treated us. So we're going to take some space. I'm going to pray for us. And we're going to take about 15 minutes to just go do this right now. You can talk to somebody in the room. You can go make a phone call. We've got this room, we've got the lobby, and we've got outside. You can go on a walk. Uh, The only place we can't go in the building is downstairs. We've got the rest of the space. What we'll do is we'll take 15 minutes to do it, and then I will call us back. If you're still talking to the person, that's fine. That's what you'll just do for the rest of the evening. But if you're in here, I'll call us back with some communion and worship. Let me pray for us. Father God, it is really convicting and challenging to hear and see you call us to forgive and to treat one another as Christ has treated us. Confess that that is not my posture a lot of the time. I think that's true of a lot of us. Pray, God, that you would change our hearts tonight, start the process. Pray that you would help us to to be tenderhearted, to be kind, to forgive. Pray that you would give a lot of us courage to confess some things that maybe we don't want to confess, to confront when our natural bending is to kind of not do that. Pray that you would empower us by your spirit, Lord. I'm I'm so thankful for the gospel that uh, it is not about our performance and that you have forgiven us infinitely more than what anybody could or would do to us and that you give us the power to do the same. Help us to do that right now. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.